This is History Replays Today, the Richmond History Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Jeff Major. This is a repost of episode 10 uh, with Mike Gorman, a conversation about Abraham Lincoln in Richmond, April 4th, 1865. It's the 150th anniversary, so I want to go ahead and repost it. Um, I recorded this and put this episode out a year and a half ago. You'll notice that I've gotten better mics and generally can just learn how to record things a little bit better. Um, but it's not that bad, and the content of the conversation is well worth listening to. If you've not heard Mike Gorman before, first step is you should go back and check out the last episode, uh, which is about the fall of Richmond. Um, and if you have heard all that, if you listen to the podcast a lot, you'll notice that I've reposted this episode, also reposted a Patrick Henry episode a couple weeks ago. Uh, I'm not going to repost every old episode, but that was the 240th anniversary of the Liberty or Death speech. This is the 150th anniversary of Lincoln and Richmond. Seems like it was worth it. And if you like hearing Mike, you should go check him out on one of his tours with the Richmond National Battlefield Parks. April 4th, he's actually going to be doing a real-time walk with Abraham of Abraham Lincoln's trip here in Richmond. Should be pretty fantastic. Um, and yeah, hope you enjoy. Let me know what you think. This is History Replays Today, the Richmond History Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Jeff Major. I hope you're having a great day. I have Mike Gorman on the show, who's a historian with the National Park Service, and is going to tell us all about Abraham Lincoln's historic trip to Richmond, Virginia, you know, less than 48 hours after it's the capital of the Confederacy. Uh, Mike Gorman is a wealth of information. Um, he's probably done more research on Lincoln's actual trip in Richmond, definitely more than anyone I know. Um, but he's actually compiled an enormous amount of uh, information about Civil War Richmond on his website, which is mdgorman.com, m-d-g-o-r-m-a-n.com. Uh, it's a unique collection of newspaper articles, photos, accounts of Civil War Richmond. Um, you know, he did not ask me to plug that, but it's a. Um, it, I, I spent a lot of time there, and you know, if you get a minute, you know. Mess around there. Uh, I'll put a link to his site at historyreplaystoday.org. You can also check out photos that will correspond with each episode there. Uh, you know, links to follow History Replays Today on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, which is at History Replays. You can you know comment. I always love to hear what people have to you know have to say about the episodes. You know, comment right there at historyreplaystoday.org or on any one of those uh, social media sites. You can also email me at jeffmajor, J-E-F-F-M-A-J-E-R, at historyreplaystoday.org. On the website, you'll also find a couple ways that you can actually help support the podcast. Uh, you want to you know, click the support button and you'll you know, find out about uh, sponsorships, uh, which if you have an organization or a company that wants to help get your name out, help the podcast, that works for me. Uh, you can also donate to the podcast. You know, I'm not trying to get rich here, 
Um, well, if you want to give me a donation that would make me rich, I'm not going to turn it down. You know, if you like the podcast, you feel like it's worth something, you feel like you're in a position to make a financial contribution, it's definitely appreciated. You know, I need to get some new recording gear. Uh, I do need to pay for gas to, you know, just go meet folks, fascinating folks like Mike Gorman. And, you know, just pitch in a few dollars to get me a cup of coffee so I can stay up late while, while editing this stuff. Um, but anyways, I'm not going to go know too much into it, but, you know, anything you can give is greatly appreciated. Um, but back to Mike Gorman and Lincoln and Richmond, um, which, in fact, speaking of sponsorships, River City Segs offers a tremendous Lincoln and Richmond Segway tour. Come on out. You can see all those sites that we actually talk about here on, on the podcast. Um, it is, you know, Lincoln coming to Richmond is an amazing moment in American history, not just Richmond history, not just Civil War history. You know, Lincoln walking through the newly fallen enemy capital, very little security. You know, he's mobbed by newly freed slaves. You know, some of these folks were slaves, you know, day or two before that. Um, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to even imagine. Um, and I started out asking Mike about, you know, what, what was the atmosphere in Richmond the day that Lincoln arrives? I mean, what are, what are people doing? No one's expecting him to show up. And, you know, before we even get into that, we need to, you know, kind of, kind of set the context here. You know, April 1st, 1865 is a normal Saturday in Civil War Richmond. April 2nd, the Confederates will begin to evacuate. Uh, you know, the city we set ablaze. April 3rd, the Union Army is now coming in. They're going to put the fire out, take control of the enemy capital. And then the next day, April 4th, Lincoln is going to arrive. Um, I mean, it happens that fast. You know, and by April 9th, Lincoln, I mean, excuse me, Lee is sitting down to surrender to Grant at Appomattox. Lincoln will go to the Ford's Theater on April 14th, where he'll be shot. He'll die on April 15th, 1865. What is, what's the kind of atmosphere in Richmond after the, you know, that day that Richmond, that Lincoln comes in, right? The day after the city's burned. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm assuming people left. Right, they knew that they knew. Actually, this was no, I don't. <clears throat> I don't get that sense. Um, you can read the the Richmond newspapers right up until the day before the evacuation, because the evacuation occurred on a Sunday. Sure, they didn't publish newspapers on a Sunday, so you can read the you know, April first, eighteen sixty five newspaper, and it's not like we see it coming. Yeah, I mean, the, even the week before, you, you know, it's not like oh, here it comes. You know, this is a sudden event. This is rapid, unexpected. Even if, you know, in your gloomy mind, you were like, yeah, we're probably going to lose this war. You weren't thinking it's going to happen this week. Um, if they had, I would assume they would have done a better job of packing up and preserving their records. And I can tell you, they lost a lot in the in the evacuation fire. Now, of course, they didn't expect the fire to get out of control, but still... Uh, you'd move that stuff out if you really, yeah. Like, okay, we're gonna have an orderly withdrawal out of Richmond to someplace else. You'd have this stuff, at least not so the Union would get it, Maybe right? Or you'd, you'd, sort of, you'd, you'd pack it up and just have it in a, in a <clears throat> box cars somewhere down there, ready to go. Sure, you did. Uh, you really, you really get this sense when it happens. It's a, it's a uh, 
we got to do this tonight, now, 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 however it works. Yeah. You know, the, the simple fact that the evacuation fire got out of control uh, seems to have come from the fact that, you know, Richard, Richard Ewell, who was in charge of the general, who was in charge of doing this, you know, okay, I've got to evacuate the city. What, what laws do we have that are going to govern me at this point? And they whip out the old laws from 1862 that said when the, when the Yankees capture Richmond, we're going to set fire to the various tobacco warehouses and then uh, bug out. Well, I know that you will, in fact, he said he did, uh, felt that this was monstrous, that this was going to be a disaster. It was needless. Uh, why would we do this? Why would we risk it? You know. But the law is the law. Nobody had gone back and revised it. Sure. So, you know, again, if you, if you think that there, there's something going to happen, I can guarantee you, uh, you know, when we're about to shut down the federal government, you know, we, for weeks before, we're like, this might happen. This might happen. Let's, yeah. put, let's put some plans into place. Because uh, we did. They don't seem to have. Sure. Yeah. And there are very few casualties, though. In the there are more than people think. Uh, okay. It's a little hard to, to quantify how many or who they were. Um, but it seems that when the powder magazine blew up uh, near the almshouse, that quite a few of the, as the, as the newspaper called them, plotters that were there uh, were killed in the explosion. I think because well, the story that I've read, which who's to say... But uh, the story that I've read said that uh, you know somebody came and said we're we're blowing the powder magazine get out, and so they did. They were outside, standing around, but they don't have blankets or anything like that, and they start getting cold. And you know the explosion didn't take place. They thought that's oh, just a false alarm, so they went back inside. And when it blew, it was more the concussion than anything. So uh, apparently, quite a few of them died there. But uh, it's not bloodless, right? But it's not a bloodbath. You know, I mean, is there any kind of indication, like estimates of how many people died, or is it just... never seen anybody really sit down and wonder how many people died. Um, if I had to guess, it would probably be in the neighborhood of 50. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that, to me, that, I mean, when you're talking about 800, 1,000 buildings, I mean, that's pretty... Well, the nice thing about fires, you can see it coming. Right. Um, and and the, other, the other issue is these are not... Houses. These are places of business, mm-hmm. which, once the fires were set, would have been more or less vacant of people. Right. Uh, if you were a law-abiding citizen, you were most likely in your home, uh, praying to God that the fire could somehow be checked before it got to you. Uh, so, when you look at the damages of the of the evacuation fire, it's it's far and away business places, sure. not. Not Miss So and So's house, although that did happen. There are some houses down there, no doubt about it. They got burned. Oh, that was exciting. No, that was exciting. Let me turn down the sound. <laughs> Somebody sent me an email. But um, so yeah, you don't see houses. You see, you know, business. It'd be the same same effect as if the same area burned today. Right. You know, the, the Bank of America building, you know, caught fire while well, the janitor and the night watchman and, you know, whoever's working there at night got out, there wouldn't be a whole lot of casualties. You know, and, and so is it, uh, you know, the next day, though, when Lincoln comes in, are people beginning to rebuild? Are they well, just sitting back and saying, holy smokes, that was, you know. Push pause on that. You know, the Union Army comes in April 3rd. Right. So the night of April 2nd, April 3rd, is the evacuation fire. Absolute chaos, pandemonium. The next morning, the, the Union Army of the James comes in and establishes order, starts putting out the fires. 
The next day, April 4th, Lincoln arrives in the afternoon. Right. So, within the first 36 hours after the city has been occupied by the Union forces, here comes the president. Right. You know, the the people are currently having to adjust to uh, what's going to happen next. Uh, The ports have just recently started to think about, well... Yeah, we're going to let ships up the the James River. I mean, we know that because you know when Lincoln is is trying to come up to Richmond, he he's stymied by the obstructions at Drury's Bluff and the mines in the river. Um, you know, so, so supply couldn't come up that way. So you've got a city that's basically living on whatever they had already or what was still around in Richmond, which surely wasn't much. Uh, they've got to be hungry. They've got to be scared. They've got to be you know, all asking, "How's this going to play out?" Apparently, Union Army. Sutlers who are kind of like traveling convenience stores uh, started setting up and selling stuff right away, trying to do what they could to uh, help the pilots. But on the other hand, I wonder how, how would they pay? Yeah, it's not like they have you know U.S. greenbacks sitting around or gold or anything like that. So uh, you know, I think it's going to be several days before that kind of on the ground help is really going to going to get around to many of the citizens. And then they do. But by the time that Lincoln's arriving in town, the, the Union authorities primarily have been focused on getting the fires put out, restoring order, and anything that's obviously broken that we can fix quickly, like bridges, that kind of thing. Um, let's go ahead and start doing that. Right. So are the people rebuilding, you know, like like Germans in 1945? No, not necessarily. Not that quick. Uh, most of Most of the City is still under a curfew, you know, just to prevent any kind of um, hostile interaction between uh, soldiers and civilians, and that could go in both directions. Believe me, there's a lot of concern about uh, that when when Richmond is occupied that there's going to be something really bad in public that that would happen. So you know, a lot of it was you know, we look back and say that's pretty draconian, but you know, that actually makes quite a bit of sense. Sure, uh, it's probably about 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 right. Uh, let's let's not have anything happen. Let's just you know, let's keep inside our houses and try to try to adjust. Yeah, stay in your shoes, figure it out. Exactly. Um, and so Lincoln though has already been in Petersburg for what two weeks by this point, right? We've been near Petersburg, right? We've been, we've been at City Point, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's an interesting story all by itself. He's basically. I don't want to say taking a vacation because that's not quite true. Um, there was an official nature to what he was doing, no doubt about it. It's to is to meet with Grant and Sherman and David Dixon Porter, the admiral, to give them guidance on what's to what's going to happen when when these Confederates start wanting to surrender. And they could clearly see, and they knew that that eventually this is going to start happening. So one of the most important things he does is to meet with Grant and Sherman and, and Porter and give them these uh, directions, which essentially boil down to uh, if the Confederates want to lay down their arms and they'll go home and they'll stop fighting, let them. Yeah. You know, we, we, we're not here to to beat them down again or punish them even more. It's, you know, uh, I think is, is dangling the, the, the carrot here, which is, look, you know, if you'll if you'll just stop fighting, we're you know that's it. We're not going to send you to a to a prison or or anything like that. 
and at least the way Sherman recalled it, uh, you know, he saw a direct parallel between what Grant had offered to Lee at Appomattox, so those surrender terms, and what he then had offered to Johnston later, after uh, Lincoln's death, which were then rescinded because uh, the political mood had changed yeah. by that time. But uh, anyway, as Sherman recalled it, it was it was markedly beneficent. The other issue is that uh, uh, outside of that meeting, he's uh, he's gotten his son Robert a job on on Grant's staff, mm-hmm. and so a lot of this is uh, sort of a family send off. So that's why Mary and and Tad are along, is to see Robert off to war, and that's a big deal. Uh, but make no mistake, it seems like Grant asked Lincoln to come to the front with the intention of him being there when the when the House of Cards started to fall. Sure. And as as the the final assault on Petersburg drew closer, you know, Lincoln's taken a political hit by being at the front and being away from Washington. Right. Uh, you know, that the Republicans want to know, okay, you know, what are we doing here? You know what? Come on, you know, we need some direction here. Seward was left in charge up in Washington. And uh uh, you know, this this is sort of dragging out, and, and there was some criticism of this at the time. But but it's it seems like it's Grant that was saying, you know, you want to stay, you want to you want to be here when this when this happens, and so he did. Uh, during that time, however, um, it is very easy to pile on Mary Lincoln. It's clear that whatever her mental issues were or emotional issues were, they've reached a boiling point when they come to when they come to City Point. Whether that's seeing Robert off to war or uh, being in a strange place, surrounded by other officers and their wives, um, she clearly has a has a breakdown. Sure. And it's it's again, in my most generous reading of this I can understand mental illness. I can understand emotional issues. But being the first lady, her primary job was to make everyone comfortable. And almost everyone that ever wrote about this felt wildly uncomfortable. <laughs> and so whether... This incident in particular you're talking about. She was... Uh, there are a couple of good accounts of this, but to make a long story short, she was supposed to uh, meet the president at a review of troops, which apparently was at Malvern Hill, the Mal- Malvern Hill battlefield, the Army of James. And uh, she'd been suffering with migraines, which I can sympathize with. And the road that she was taking was very bumpy, and she was bashing her head on top of the the top of the carriage roof. And uh, when she got there, she, she was very late. It was very hot. And the president had decided to just go, he was already there, decided to go ahead and, and start the review without her. And, of course, the highest-ranking officer there was General Ord, and his wife was along, and she is part of the reviewing party. Of course, people are cheering, you know, the Army is cheering, imagining that that's Mrs. Lincoln. Well, when she shows up and sees this, she just, she just goes off and just begins berating the president. Some Some reports have her beating his chest with her fists in public. Um, I mean, this is a very public thing. Then later aboard, uh, back aboard the the River Queen, she she continues. She says, you know, everybody can hear it. You know, there they are down, you know, 
arguing, and at one point calls uh, calls the skipper of one of the one of the boats, men who had, who had seen most of this, uh, calls him down, and uh, he's like, oh, I can't imagine what she wants, and uh, the door opens, and there she is, you know, oh, oh, thank God you're here, you saw this, right? You're like she's trying to get him to say, yes, I saw right. this, and there's the president in there, basically with his, you know. Head in his hands, you know. So so sorry that this is now becoming a very public event, and you know, he's trying to just basically say, "By God, I have I want to know. I don't want. I would like to be anywhere but here." Sure. Um, and finally, the president just stands up and, and thank you and closes the door. And you really get that sense that this has become very uncomfortable for a lot of people. And soon thereafter, though, we don't know exactly what what motivated this. Did she leave, or was she sent away? I don't know, and I can't say. Um, but she left, um, and she went back up to, to Washington. And during that time, Petersburg fell and Richmond fell. So she gets up to Washington and hears this news. Meanwhile, the the president is left with Tad on board the, the USS Malvern. And again, reading between the lines here, when you read people's account, even those that don't go directly after Mary Lincoln, and there are quite a few that that, that go ahead and do that, uh, but reading between the lines, those that don't go directly after her, you can just feel the tension lift in their writing. It's like it almost feels like uh, you know clouds parting or something like that. It's like okay, now they're it's almost like a bachelor party. You know, they're they're all hanging out on the Malvern, having a good time, um, and I don't say that with a dirty sense or even a, even any kind of right. sexist sense at all, um, I think Lincoln must have been very sad. Uh, for all intents and purposes, his, his wife has left him very publicly. Sure. And, that, you know, this is not something that they can just, you know, sweep under the rug. It's one thing, you know, the White House staff hears this, you know, we know they're discreet and all that. Now we've, you know, Mrs. Ord has been involved, you know, Mrs. Grant. Ev- everyone now... the at the top is aware of that. There's regular troops watching. Well, so yeah, they're regular. Their their troops are around. I mean, every you know, this, this is a this is a vessel. You know, it's not a you know a house. Everybody can hear this. Um, but like I say, when you read these writings, it really seems like this is this is a the president was very sad, but now it's almost like okay, I can sort of let my hair down. So you start having him, you know, talking and joking again. Uh, he tours fall in Petersburg with General Grant. And this sort of sets up everything that's that's to follow. Um, Stanton, up in Washington, gets word of this, that he's roaming around <laughs> recently captured people. I mean, there's still Confederates in town. There's still armed Confederates in town. You know, if somebody sees him and wants to take a shot at him, it wouldn't be a difficult thing to do. Um, Stanton writes back and says, you know, what are you doing? Oh, my God, this is exposing yourself dangerously. Why, why, why are you doing this, sir? Please... Please don't do that again. And uh, Lincoln telegraphs back. It's, it's kind of funny. It shows you his mindset. <clears throat> he basically says, uh, you know, yours received. Uh, I've, I've been to Petersburg and toured all day with, with, with Grant. And I think I'll go to Richmond tomorrow. I will take care of myself. Right. Dad. <laughs> right. And with that, he's, he's made his decision. He's going, to, he's going to Richmond the next day. My question is always, why? Yeah. What, it, what compels him to brave the heavily mined James River to go to the fallen capital of the Confederacy 
which is now in, in ruins, which are not secure fully. And there's still flames, there's still fire. Surely people in Richmond who have the, the strongest passions are still there. Everybody thinks they left, but they didn't. You know, so if you own a house, you're not going to necessarily flee from it. Um, why does he go? Well, I think there's a lot of answers to that question that make sense. Uh, number one, General Weitzel, who is in command of the remnant of the army that James had captures Richmond, uh, has never had command of this sort before. Uh, now he's on a world stage. Yeah. He needs some. He needs some direction. Yeah, it just that has to happen. Somebody's got to get up there and talk to him about you know here's what we want you to do. And I assume there's no telegraph lines established between oh, Petersburg were. and Richmond, are there? There were, but you know the kind of stuff he's going to want to talk to Whitesell about is not the kind of stuff you want going over a telegraph wire, right? You know, not that there's anything dirty going on, but you know, do this, don't do that. You know, you might not have this kind of experience in the political waters. I do, so you know, I think that's a major major contributor right there. Number two, how about pure curiosity? You know, this this city has dogged your entire presidency for four sure. years, right? And now it's in your hands. How about just the simple? I can't. I can go see this place finally and put this period on the end of this awful long sentence. I don't have a problem with that. You know, call it tourism, call it curiosity, call it whatever you will. Just call it. Closure. Okay, I think that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Right. I'd certainly want to go see it. Um, how about number three? It's Little Tad's birthday. Yeah. The only man in the, in the country that can say, I want to go to Richmond tomorrow, is Abraham Lincoln. Hmm. And here's Little Tad, who's, whose mother has, well, maybe even abandoned him. You might even use that word. Yeah. On his birthday. Maybe this is his way of, of wading through that that family morass. Sure. Again, I, I, I don't know the circumstances, but I think that certainly had to be on his mind. Otherwise, why take why not leave Tad behind? There's well, definitely a whole lot of like people fight with their spouses and then end up doing you know not so wise things the next day just with the band. Like, you know, how about that? He's a human being. You yeah. know, now can I can I say that I don't I don't like historians that try to climb inside people's heads, but we've all been there. Yeah, we've all been there when we have that fight, and you know. Uh, you say and you do some things you wish you could take back. You're having to deal with the situation on the flip side. You know, you're not fully there. And now, toss onto this that events of global, to say nothing of national significance, are occurring in which you are the center. Sure. He's in a really emotional place. And I don't think that that can be understated. That That's not only part of, probably part of his, his motivation for going to Richmond, but it's almost certainly going to to affect him heavily when when he gets to the city. Yeah, and I, I think we we discount that at our peril. I don't think we can say exactly to what degree he was he was in a very emotional place, but who wouldn't be? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When they come up the river, because he actually gets to uh, Petersburg on the River Queen, right? Or see, did he take the, the Malvern to DC <clears throat> from DC? They came down on the River Queen. No doubt about that. Um, I am a little sketchy right now in my understanding about whether or not the president was, a, that the River Queen had come back. I'm pretty sure that the River Queen took Mary back to Washington. Okay. So that's where the, the switchover, the why they... on the Malvern. Right. right. But it seems like, and again, I'm, I'm still working on this. One of the great things about this event is that there's so many sources, but they're 
so many sources and they're contradictory. It seems like the, the River Queen dropped off Mary and then hustled back. Okay. Uh, but meanwhile, the president was still aboard the Malvern. They'd already transferred over, so it made more sense just to stay there. Um, and and I'm a little curious as to whether or not the River Queen was was uh, able to get over the obstructions at Drury's Bluff. It seems okay. like it seems like the Malvern is the vessel that we want to focus on at this point. Um, so, but I mean, is that like uh, anything comparable to like Marine One or like you know the Air Force One today? <laughs> That's an interesting comparison. Well, it, it is it is an interesting. I think you're on, a, on 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 the right track, which is, you know, the River Queen is fitted up to be the president's boat. It's nice okay. and plush on the inside. It's got all the amenities, all the it's got an office bed, and right? There's an yeah. office and everything like that. When he transfers to the Malvern, I mean, this is a captured former Confederate blockade runner. This is a military vessel. This is not a plush, tricked out thing. So, you know, it must have seemed to to him suddenly very austere. Sure. Um, Porter, whose accounts you have to kind of take with a grain of salt, because he fancied himself a novelist after the war, um, said that this are, became. Are a, we all? Well, are we all? It's a problem. He, yeah. Believe me, because he's, he, he should be my most reliable source on this, but in, instead he's one of my least. Um, he he had a funny story that that is probably apocryphal, but uh, but it illustrates the problem of now the president's aboard your boat, which is uh, that the president came aboard and he only had this this small bed for him, and the president, of course, is a very tall man. And so the president, you know, took it all in stride and, and slept in this bed. His you know, feet were probably dangling over the side. And uh, so the next day, while they were while they were doing whatever they were doing, Porter ordered the, carp- the ship's carpenter to get to work and, and, uh, and extend, the, extend the bed. Yeah. And so uh, uh, the, the president uh, then quipped later, uh, after he'd slept in this, this new bed, uh, uh, my God, Porter! I, I have shrunk overnight. This is, you know, or something to the to that effect. You know? Yeah. Uh, of course, he's he's you know having a joke at himself, but you know it does it does illustrate the problem. That we weren't anticipating putting up the president and his son aboard the Malvern, and now that's that's something that has to happen. So when we consider it just from a logistical and expense related venue, I tend to I tend to believe that uh, that, uh, that that Mary's departure was was probably. Uh, her own instigation, sure, um, because we're talking about money being spent to transfer the, the president over, and the River Queen sent up to Washington. Uh, you know, it must have been something that was either mutually agreed on, or she said, uh, she said, "I've got to go." Yeah. Otherwise, you'd be like, "I just stay here," and you know. So that, that's sort of my read on that. Hmm. Um, so, and when they, uh, he's going to come up the river. I mean, I guess first of all, like just kind of painting the scene. I mean, is it? Are they, what time of day are they coming? I guess I'm assuming morning, right? Uh, actually, no. The, the the accounts suggest it was a little afternoon uh, when they okay. when they got to Drury's Bluff. So they must have left in the morning from City Point. But uh, Porter had been had had his fleet out there all night long, uh, sweeping the the river for mines. And that's and again, we go to this expense. Just imagine. You know, here's a, what what on, on any level has to be a pretty impetuous decision. We're going to go to we're going to go to Richmond. So things have to happen. Sure, you know the 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 river has to be cleared of mines. Uh, all the you know p- people have to assemble to to make this possible. Uh, who's going to guard the president? What you know this whole plan has to be you know hacked together here in just a few hours. Sure, well, uh, people complain about like the president coming to Richmond and shutting down you know 
64 or whatever as he comes through, and you can only imagine there's no mines on 64. So. No mines on 64. <laughs> no. Uh, no, instructions, not. no instructions. No instructions on 64. Um, and, that, and that's sort of weird because, uh, you know, Admiral Porter certainly knew that there were obstructions at Drury's Bluff, but either his fleet couldn't get, get that far overnight, and they worked all night to make this happen. Um, or what, I don't know. But but when the fleet approached Drury's Bluff, they encountered what you'd expect, which is the Confederates had, since 1862, had vessels sunk across the, the channel so that you couldn't pass it. Well, oops. Yeah. <laughs> and so now this, this grand naval flotilla that Porter envisioned, you know, driving up the James River, flags, pennants flying, you know, guns going off to signal the, the arrival of the President of the United States, is dead in the water, literally. And so, at this point, you know, the plan is has evaporated. And what's remarkable to me is that somebody said, go. Yeah. Keep going. Now, whether that's Porter or Lincoln or Dad. Who knows? I, I don't know. Um, but this is now, you know, you're realizing it's going to take some time to get over these, these obstructions. Yeah. Uh, you know, how much time do we really want to dedicate to this? Well, they come, somebody comes up with a plan. Porter probably did, which was, uh, okay, well, we've got this steamboat, this launch that comes off the Mallory, so the, the Admiral's barge. Okay. And we'll put that in the river and drive it over the, you know, because it draws with so much less water than, say, the, the USS Malvern or the River Queen. We'll drive it over the obstructions. But he's still got a problem, which is we've swept the river of mines up to this point, but there's still mines beyond Drury's Bluff, between Drury's Bluff and Richmond. So, the thinking is, fine, we're going to put the, the steam launch in the river, but then we're going to have it tow a rowboat in which we'll place the president and Tad. So that if the steam launch hits a mine, it will blow up and not the president. It's a great plan. Great. <laughs> well, you're seeing improv here already. Yeah. Right. So, especially, I'm sure the guys who were thinking it was a great plan were the guys that were driving that barge. Yeah. They were like, wait, hold on. Well, this also this also is going to bear fruit, too, which is it's not like, you know, how many sailors and Marines are aboard the Malvern, right? Got plenty of them. How many now can fit on this? Sure. Very few. So, here we are now in this, this barge and this rowboat <coughs> as they go up the river. And apparently, although I'm starting to have some doubts about this, Apparently, as they're going up, they see coming down this vessel coming from Richmond, and it's run aground. And as they get closer, they can see the guy on the boat, you know, hailing them. And as they get closer, they realize it's Admiral Farragut, you know, damn the torpedoes, mm -hmm. full speed ahead fame. Well... This has got to be the height of embarrassment for Farragut, who thought he was going to make this big naval presentation. You know, I've driven the first boat down from Richmond. I presented to you, sir. And now he's running his boat aground. And Porter must have just been cracking up. Lincoln probably thought this was hilarious, as Farragut's having to ask for help from the other admiral in the U.S. Navy and, uh, and the President of the United States. So the steam launch then proceeds to try to help Farragut get off this... this uh, some people say it was a sandbar. Others say it was uh, uh, bridge pilings there at Tree Hill. I like that one. Uh, but whatever happened, Porter's steam launch now becomes stuck. Sure. Against uh, either the pilings or the sandbar. So essentially the, the highest-ranking officers in the... The two highest-ranking officers in the U.S. Navy have now both 
both grounded, of them. grounded their ships. It's the only two. Yeah. The only two admirals. Exactly. And Lincoln is probably thinking, this is why this, 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 is, a, this is a disaster. He's going to just be like, oh my God, this is, this isn't. But on the other hand, again, here's another opportunity. Somebody at that point says, we go. Right. Now, if I'm Porter, at this point, I'm going to try to talk Lincoln out of it. You know, look, this, this is, we, we can't, we can't guarantee your safety at this point. You know, let's, let's go back down to Drury's Bluff and see if they've gotten over the, the obstructions, um, you know, and proceed from there. No, somebody says go. I don't know who. Probably Lincoln. And so, to solve the problem, they leave the steam launch behind, cut loose the rowboat, transfer sailors aboard to row, and a few officers come along, along with Porter, and Lincoln is rowed up into the city in this in this rowboat. But this presents its own problems because nobody really knows where to land, and, and the obvious landing spot, which would be Rockets Landing, is not accessible. And it also is far away from the city. If you were, if you were to ever do this, and actually in a boat, you'd see it. When you approach Rockets Landing, the city looks like it's five miles away. Right. Uh, to say nothing of the fact that if you were in a rowboat, the dock would be about five feet above your head. So Rockets Landing wouldn't even consider it. And when Porter writes his account, he doesn't even mention seeing it. It doesn't even look like a good place to put in to him. So they're looking for some. You know, you got a rowboat. You're looking for some place to put in to actually, you know, ground the, you know, the boat and get out. And so they keep on rowing. And as Porter says, he he got up amongst the rocks in the rapids. Well, that's a clue. That means right there, west of Mayo Bridge, where right. the where the rapids still are. And thereupon, the rowboat grounded again. And Lincoln makes some kind of joke to the effect that, you know, Porter, you're going to need the Army engineers to get you off of this sandbar. Right. Kind of bad joke to, to tell Porter at this point, who's probably had about enough of this. Um, really, think about the frustration yeah. level that he's got right now. And uh, so he says, no, we don't. And, you know, has the, has the sailors, you know, shove them off. And as he said, then we put in at the uh, most the closest looking landing spot we could find, uh, which was a little sandbar. And this is where location clues become so crucial. Uh, at about the same time, a journalist named Charles Coffin, who was working for the Boston Journal, uh, scored the greatest journalistic coup of the Civil War, if you ask me. He happened to be right about where Lincoln landed. Holy smokes. When, when he did. And I don't think this is, you know, journalistic puffer either. I think this actually happened. Uh, because the location clue that he gives us is absolutely spot on. And he says in his, in his uh, report, which was filed within hours of, of this event, it's the best we have, uh, says that he was looking at a group of former slaves uh, as he called them Negroes, repairing a bridge over the canal. There's only one spot where there's a bridge over the canal, anywhere that's near a, a landing spot. And it's, it's a, it was at 17th Street. Right. There used to be a bridge over the canal there. And beyond it was a sandbar, uh, which is now the waste treatment plant for the city. Uh, it was a much smaller sandbar back then, but it makes perfect sense. Now we got a geographical location. We know he he was up in the rocks near Mayor's Bridge, and they know they dropped down, back downstream a little ways. Coffin fills in the rest. 
Lincoln lands somewhere on that sandbar and begins crossing this this bridge at 17th Street. Which is like right across from the bottoms out there. Yeah, if you went through the flood wall and uh, around, there's a little... There's nothing there to mark this spot, but there's a little... Underneath the interstate there, there's a little... I guess it's a bike trail now. Yeah, the Capitol Trail. That's right. That's right, it is. But there used to be a bridge there. Mm-hmm. And that's where Coffin was when he saw... There was Lincoln. He'd met Lincoln before. He knows exactly who he is. And uh, so Coffin decides to go make this event really happen. And, and looking back, I wonder if he ever regretted it, because this gets out of hand pretty fast. Uh, he says that he recognized Lincoln, and he turned to one of the former slaves, and he says, Would you like to see the man that, that gave you your freedom, Abraham Lincoln? There he is. And he points at him. And at this point, it just goes crazy. It's right. like a, it's like a concert when the lights go off. Uh, Porter and his small crew, of, you know, of, of sailors probably are are just you know loping up this sandbar, and now all of a sudden they're being mobbed by these by these former slaves who who see this as their emancipation event. And you've got to know, you know what were they doing before Coffin pointed this out? They've been they've been uh, you know, more or less conscripted into doing doing work on this bridge, you know, not paid work. You know. Oh, you're free now. Really? Do any white people have to right. to, <laughs> to build this bridge? No. You know, what is freedom? I, I don't know, you know, because it sure looks a lot like slavery. Sure. And now there's Abraham Lincoln. Right. Do you have any doubts about slavery's death or that, that you are now personally free? You can touch the guy. Right. And so when I say this is their their emancipation event, really, you can't get to that emotional place. And even Coffin reflected on that. You know, he, he says something like, you know, we who have always had our freedom, we cool-blooded Anglo-Americans, can have no adequate realization of the ecstasy on the part of the colored people of Richmond. And he's right. Uh, they're just, they're, they're swarming to see this man and touch him. So whatever Lincoln's motivations were for getting to this point, it's now been completely hijacked by the, the, the former slaves who are making this their event. Sure. And and that is really powerful to me. And I'm sure being in the emotional place that he was already, now toss this on. Right. Jeez. Uh, you know, he's been around you know, former slaves that, that felt this way before, but like this, I mean, this, this is their event. This, they, they now are free, the way they feel, is, is seeing him. And Porter is now thinking he's, he's freaking out. turned away. Yeah, he's, he's, he is, he's, <laughs> he's having a hard time right now. Uh, he says, uh, you know, I had to surround the president with these sailors with bayonets fixed to keep the crowd off. Yeah. No guard, no escort waiting for him. Why? Well, because though Weitzel knew Lincoln was going to come, probably, where would he have expected him to come? Right. Rockets Landing with the USS Malvern. And they, it would have been so conspicuous when they arrived. My God, they, you, know, you would have seen him for miles. Here comes this whole, this, this fleet. There's a huge boat coming up the James River. They announced themselves with, you know, uh, cannon firing. You'd see it. You couldn't miss it. You'd have plenty of time to get an escort down there and get there. Uh, instead, it's this completely accidental event. Sure. He's, he's on a sandbar stepping out of a rowboat, which nobody was looking for. He's, now he's mobbed by former slaves, and he's stepping off in what was a real kind of seedy area of town. It was called, uh, during the war, it was called Dublin. And it doesn't take a genius to figure out who was living there right. at the time, but but you're constantly reading about uh, uh, 
gambling dens and uh, illegal grog shops and houses of prostitution being broken up in the area. And this is where Lincoln is going to come into Richmond? Well, in some ways, it's, it's a little bit apropos, I suppose, in a dramatic sense. But now he's, he's trying to push through this crowd of, of former slaves who see him as their deliverer. Uh, and now he's about to accidentally hit the market as he goes up 17th Street, which, you know, if the sandbar might have been the event for the, the slaves just in that area, the former slaves in that area. But now when he gets up to the market there at 17th and Main, it's like stepping into the mall. Right. Everybody's going to see him. Everybody's going to see him. And so... so but it is also the... One of the things I've thought about this is, do they not... Uh, are there not soldiers everywhere in the city at that point that would at least pitch in and say, holy smokes. Porter says no. What's happening? Or Porter says, uh, strange as it may sound, uh, there wasn't a soldier to be found in the lower part of the city. Because it's... And, you know, uh, Libby Prison is only... Libby Prison is only a few blocks away. Right, that's another, that's another clue that almost everybody gave us. It said he... he he landed two blocks above Libby Prison. Well, there you go, 17th Street. But um, Porter said no. He, he didn't see any soldiers uh, in the lower part of the city. Even if there were any soldiers there, I mean, would they have had the prescience to go find an officer and tell him to start passing this up the chain? Uh, you know, for all they knew, he was being escorted. You look in there, and there's some there's some guys with bayonets. And who knows? But this is a problem for Porter, and Porter is quite frankly freaking out. He says, you know, I, I would. I was suddenly aware of the danger in which the president was placed. You know, every window, as we passed it, could have some, could have an assassin there. It would be so easy for somebody to put a knife in his back. Sure. It would. Uh, and you got to know, when he's, when he's writing those words, you know, every window, that means he was looking at every window. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, he's like, he's just, you know, crazy eyes the whole way. Uh, this is on him if anything happens, right? Uh, and Lincoln is still pushing on. And uh, it's a little unclear about who was guiding this. Coffin says uh, at one point he did. Uh, others say uh, one of the one of the former slaves did. We don't know, but they're going to the White House of the Confederacy. Because do they? Has anyone ever been there? I mean, like you know, do they? You know, well, Coffin's been in town, so yes, he certainly would have. So, he certainly would have known the so like, known hey, the area. Take us to the White House, and uh, let's do that, or President's Mansion at that point. They probably would have said Weitzel's headquarters at that okay, point. Okay, yeah, all right. Because the president's, President Davis is no longer in charge. And the and, and, and he's kind of walking along the Burnt District, right? So that Screwing it. It's basically the Burnt District is going to be on his left and the... Yes, um, right. Uh, one of the one of the biggest finds, and, and you know, I'll, I'll make myself the butt of this joke because it, it is so obvious, it's silly, that... Uh, for years, I was really confused about the route, and everybody who described the route, have, they did it in very general terms. Uh, I finally decided to see what the newspaper had to say. <laughs> the problem was, is that the newspaper of April 5th, the Richmond Whig, was not on the traditional microfilm reel. It's very rare. But it existed. We know it was published. And so once things started to get digitized... I started to look for it in northern papers who would have copied the article. Right. And they did. Now, this is a Richmond newspaper. They tell us, I mean, they're going to know what streets we're talking about here. You know, this, sure, sure. They're not going to be screwy on this point. You know, somebody who's new to town might be. But they specifically say he went up Franklin Street to Governor to the to Weitzel's headquarters. 
Okay, and so there, there are, it is. There it is, right there. So there are actually reporters that are seeing this, and there's, yep. you know, th- I mean, it's interesting because you can kind of tell when, when, when they saw the president for the first time because everybody assumed he came in on ro- at rockets. So even this, this uh, newspaper report says he landed at rockets. Well, he didn't land at rockets. Yeah, but then once he gets to the market, they clearly saw him because right. from that point on, they're dead on. Well, it seems yeah. like from because talking, everybody would have seen him then. talking to you about this before that that seems to be a big tip off of whether or not someone was actually there, and as opposed to trying to put themselves in that account, right. is whether or not they say they docked at rockets, right? I mean, yes, because that's you can you can almost you can almost divide the reliable sources into those that says they docked at rockets and, and not. On the other hand, you do you do have to sort of uh, give them all a bit of weight because, like I say, people would see him at different times, right? You know, if you encountered President Lincoln on Governor Street, well, you would assume. Sure. It's because it's obvious that he landed in a boat at, at Rockets, compounded by the fact that the, the Malvern, during Lincoln's walk through the city, actually did come up. They've finally gotten over the obstructions okay. in, at Drury's Bluff, and they have finally driven up the river and docked. And when they did so, they fired off a volley of guns. So... All of a sudden, now people are, are hearing this volley of guns, and suddenly the president appears. So the ah, you know, yeah, yeah. you string the two together, and you go, well, there's there, you know, he landed at rockets. It's not foolish. It's sure. not stupid. It's not stupid at all. But you know, that's been the traditional narrative that's been handed down to us because uh, some of the most easily found sources say that. Yeah. So, and is the market actually functioning? I'm sure. It was. I mean, it, I mean, so it wasn't. It, it didn't get. It didn't burn. I mean, there was you know. Now one wonders what was there and who was able to buy what was there. Right. But on the other hand, you can you can tell that as he starts getting away from say Dublin, and into, you know, walking up Franklin towards the capital, you were passing by you know the Exchange Hotel, the Ballard House. You're passing through the the former slave jails and auction houses. Sure. I mean, wow. You know, you don't think the former slaves saw that as symbolic? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, you know, think of the power of that must have just you know it's been weeping at this. You know, what could be more tangible proof that the Slavery is dead forever, and here's Lincoln going through the place where so many of my family was bought and sold. Perhaps even them. Maybe even them. Exactly. Then. Exactly. Um, you know, again, to each person is having their own response, and every time you read one, I mean, they're having almost without exception a very emotional response. Right. Watching this, and, and is this not graded like uh, substantially since then? I mean, it would have been a, a much steeper hill if I'm. Well, thinking I mean, probably, it's, probably it's definitely uphill. It's definitely uphill, no doubt about it. Uh, one way or another, you're, you got to get to the Capitol or you know yeah. hill, which is pretty high up there. And I just walked it the other day, so it, yeah, it, you feel it. You feel yeah. that burn. And so what? Um, and remember, it's not. It, I'm talking about just doing it. If you and I went out there right now and started yeah. walking it, it'd just be you and I, and you know we could take it at our own pace and you know stop if we needed to or whatever. You know, he's pushing through a crowd. Really, if you've, sure, ever been to a, if you've ever been on the floor of a concert, you know, and the lights go out, and everybody's just jostling and pushing and shoving. Uh, Coffin says, you know, he had to at one point hold Tad's hand. So Lincoln had, Lincoln had him by the left, Coffin had him by the right, just because, you know, this is getting so crazy. Right, that's what I was going to ask. I mean, that seems like that would be pretty terrifying. I mean... Yeah. Um, we no, we, we can look and we can know this, the former slaves are, you know... Approaching him with nothing but joy in their hearts, sure. but Porter is looking at this, going, "Oh my God! You know, where's the where's the guy with the knife? Where's the you know, where's the guy with the derringer? What, what about this window up here? He's right. freaking out. You and know, Tad, Tad is probably spazzing. I can't you know. imagine anything but but just picking your kid up. I mean, you know, within a crowd like that. I mean, I can't even imagine there being any other responsibility at that point, president anybody, or not. Right? I've never I mean, seen any responses that he picked him up. Although it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It seems never, crazy. Says says he held him by the hand. 
Right, because he's 12. At that, it's yeah. his 12, 12th birthday. Right. And a crowd like that is... Uh, he's a bigger boy. Uh, maybe that was the other issue, which is... Uh, <laughs> I can't carry you all that way. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I've had to carry my son before. And, you know, okay, we got about 200 yards here before Daddy's uh, right. going <laughs> put it back down. And then this kid is 12, so... Who knows? But, you know, as, as we as we push on, on Franklin Street, you know, this is when... And the, the crowd is getting bigger, as, as Porter wrote that no electric wire, as he said, could could have carried the news faster wow. through the colored population of Richmond. Uh, and, he, and he's estimating crowds, and, and even Coffin estimated the crowd is about 5,000. I, I think that's probably overstating things, but it, but it you know, really shows you we're talking about a massive event. Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually kind of how he was found by the military authorities. Um, as he's turning onto Governor Street, um, suppose well something happened here. It, it, it's you just got to know this. This event is so dramatic, is so emotional, is so clearly the end of the opera, right? That everybody looking back uh, is going to make this the end of their story, the dramatic, emotional end of their. Their story, and so words get put in Lincoln's mouth. Uh, things get puffed up from these relatively simple events into these very dramatic events. He starts making speeches here and there. Um, I don't buy it for a heartbeat. But something happens there right around Fourteenth uh, Street, um, and Coffin's account is really the best. But you've seen it. You know this man, this former slave, breaks from the crowd. Lincoln's taking a rest. He's sitting down. Uh, and this man breaks from the crowd, prostrates himself at, at his feet, and, and begins uh, exalting Lincoln as if he were a god. And, and Lincoln stops him angrily and says, "You must not pray to me. You must pray only to God. You are free now. You know, the free is the air. All this kind of stuff." Uh, no, Coffin's account at the time says that this this man broke from the crowd and said something like, "May, may the good Lord bless and keep you, Master Abraham Lincoln." And Lincoln acknowledged him, as he said, with a bow. And then Coffin noted that the moisture gathered in his eyes and he wiped them away. And they pressed on. I like that so much better because it seems right. That's what you right. would do. Um, here's this man praying for you. Sure. And imagine the emotion in Lincoln's Lincoln's heart at this point. Uh, yeah, pray for me, please. Yeah, yeah. Um, not just personally right now, but I mean, you know, can I get my marriage back together? Can, yeah, can this work out? Can we bring the country back together? All the things that can we know, get Lee? Can Lee's, we, right? Can, 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 still, can we know. end this war? Yeah, um, all those things which are crashing. There's only one man that's going to have all these responsibilities He's right there, and here's this former slave who sees him as the deliverer, praying to. I mean, geez, I yeah, he breaks down and cries. Yeah, what took you so long? Right. Okay. I think that makes a lot more sense. And I love the fact that if you think about it, this this, this former slave of Richmond praying to Ab- you know, praying with Abraham Lincoln there. And what does Lincoln do? He acknowledges him as a man. Yeah, yeah. He bows. Wow. That's you think that's ever happened to that man sure. in his life? No. Blocks from where that man could have been, been sold, sold today, a couple right? days before. I mean, again, if I scripted this and sent it to uh, uh, you know, Hollywood, they would be like, this is over the top. Yeah. You know, the, the, you're laying on too thick. You got to put some subtlety in here. But no, this stuff actually happened. Sure. 
So anyway, as he, you know, this crowd now is just gathering, going to see, got to see Lincoln. As they turn onto Governor Street, um, two Union officers said, "I did it. I found it. I put him under escort." Uh, they obviously both can't be telling the truth. <laughs> um, the one I like the most is uh, General August Kautz, who was a cavalryman who was, who said, "I was establishing my my headquarters in the Richmond House, which is a rooming house, a basically a small hotel." Which is there along Governor Street, and, and, and hearing the sound of a of a large crowd, I went to the window, and I saw the president and, and this huge crowd. And then he says, "I sent for General Weitzel, got a squadron of cavalry, and we took him to the White House." And another uh, another officer says, uh, "Again, you start seeing these, you know, people putting words in his mouth." Uh, it was George Shepley, and he says, "Writing uh, uh, up to him, I." I the president said, uh, hello, General, is this you? I was just walking around to find headquarters. I mean, come on. Right. Um, right. Well, and what, when they finally get some security, I mean, where? how far away now are these Not this, far. This massive people? If this has got to happen. Mean, this has got to happen. Mean, but this this huge crowd, I mean, they're obviously not just going to say, oh, the military's here now. We're going to all go home. No, okay, they don't. Gonna, they're they gonna do not. They're right behind this entire time. They, right? That's right. They are They are not going to let this event die. Yeah. And I think that's very powerful. Uh you know they're gonna they're going to see this through, and so even though Lincoln comes under military escort at this time somewhere on Governor Street, uh, and they just go straight up Governor Street, becomes twelfth, and there they are at the White House. Um, the crowd is still with them. Sure, there's even a, a sketch that was done at the time that, that shows this as they as the Lincoln is walking into the the former White House, the Confederacy. There's this huge number of 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 people outside. Right. And it, it, it really must have gotten even bigger at this point. I'm assuming black people, right? I mean, would white people have even been... Well, says there were, there, were, there were whites as well. Okay. Uh, he, remember, the way, where he is in his mind, he, he says there were bad-featured <laughs> white men. Um, sure. I bet that's how he looked at them. Yeah. But, you know, no matter who they were, what was in their heart, I mean, there were a lot of people in Richmond that were, that were white that were perfectly happy to see the... Uh, Confederacy gone, and, sure. And the, the Union troops in, so we don't know who they were or what they what they felt. They were, I've never run into an account from them, which is terribly frustrating. Yeah, and, and for all these thousands of people that that must have been in that crowd, it's very surprising. Uh, you know, even after the war with the, with the black newspaper, you know, the Richmond Planet, I've never seen anybody write in and say, "I saw him that day." Right. Not uh, a single tweet. Not a single tweet. No. Yeah. Hashtag Lincoln in Richmond. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But um, but anyway, when, yeah. when they get to the when they get to the White House, of the Confederacy, this is this is where, I mean, this is the moment because obviously, visually, symbolically, here comes Lincoln into the into the White House of the Confederacy. Everybody outside must have just gone berserk. Um, some of the less reliable accounts have Lincoln giving a brief address on the steps of the porch. Uh, others have Tad doing it too. I really have a hard time believing this. And besides that, if you walk this route, if you actually do it. Mm-hmm. By the time you get to the White House, you will be tired. You will physically be... It's a good walk. Yeah. You will be beat. And, and, and how many... Any miles have you measured it ever? I've never never gone out there with a... It's a good walk, though. It is. And it's uphill. Yeah. All uphill. So by the time you get there, you are just like... Phew. And I didn't have to push through a crowd. Right. Or deal with emotional <laughs> breakdowns along the way. Um, the best accounts basically say that, that Lincoln showed up. Weitzel was not there yet, and the the staff officer showed him into the uh, 
receiving room, essentially, which the, the had been called the snuggery during the Davis years. Uh, and there Lincoln sat down in the chair and asked for a glass of water. And uh, one account says, you know, he, he looked away with a far-off, dreamy expression. Well, yeah, because that's probably right. where my mind would be, too. Uh, the the, the worst accounts have him running amok in the house, you know, running upstairs with Tad precociously, jumping on the bed, this kind of thing. I don't buy that. I really don't. It right. Would've, it would have been... Well, well. likewise, even though it was Jefferson Davis, if you were in my house today and just walked upstairs, right, you'd be violating just this... You know, that's the family space. That's not... Sure, sure. Know, I'm here for an official reason. I'm not here to, to, to gloat. Well, if you weren't here, I'd have been going through all your stuff by now. <laughs> no, trust me on that. Okay. Um, yeah, you might. But, but the, the, you know what I mean? Especially yeah, yeah, in the 19th century, absolutely. Social rules would still apply. Um, and, and, and just to have that kind of joy does seem a little bit strange after it this would be, entirely it, it insane. Is, it doesn't make know. sense, right? It doesn't. It doesn't. Doesn't scan. But um, it, it seems like there's a lot made of him sitting in Jefferson Davis's chair. Oh, don't right? I know it? I am like, so tired of this. I, I look. If you come to my house and I offer you a chair and you have a seat, right? I'm you just sat in Mike Gorman's chair, chair right? Now, right. right. <laughs> yeah, he sat in Jefferson Davis's chair. Every house in the in the in the home is, is Jefferson Davis's chair. But you know, this is also that you know he he goes from that story that he went up into De- Jefferson Davis's office. I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it. This whole event from landing to leaving is three and a half hours, right? We do not have time for him to push through this crowd and get up to the White House, which probably occupied about an hour and a half, and then be running amok in the house, sitting in chairs, jumping on beds with Ted. I, I don't know. Seems weird. You know, everybody else says he was downstairs having a glass of water and sandwiches. So guess what? Right. I think he was. I think he was sitting there, calmly, probably tired. Um, Waiting for Weitzel, who could show up at any moment. You know, how ridiculous would that be if, if Jefferson Davis was, I mean, jeez, uh, Abraham Lincoln was, was upstairs, you know, running amok, and then Weitzel comes in. I mean, sure. that's just not, you know. Uh, what did Tad do? I got no idea. But as far as his father, he was probably just sitting there waiting for Weitzel, who finally arrives. I must have been highly embarrassed that uh, he dropped the ball on this whole escort thing. And so they began to, to chat about how to do this, how to how to govern Richmond, what policies. Meanwhile, this is where things get interesting. Uh, meanwhile, George, we also have like about ten minutes that you have to go. So I'm, I just oh. realized we're only like okay, we can do this fast. Yeah. So, um, meanwhile, John Campbell, who had been the Assistant Secretary of War. Um, for the Confederate States of America, has been hatching a plan in his mind and asked to meet with the president and goes through General Shapley to do this. So he shows up and he gets an audience with the president. And they meet with Weitzel and the president. He meets with Weitzel and the president behind closed doors in the White House of the Confederacy. And this is absolutely... Whatever, whatever Lincoln had come to do has just shifted. From maybe I'm just here to guide Weitzel, maybe I'm here as a tourist, maybe he's you know here as a birthday present for Tad. Now it becomes almost instantaneously about ending the war, and it's fascinating because we never get a chance to see Lincoln do Reconstruction. Right, he dies. 
And we'll sure. never know. Everybody likes to extrapolate. Well, you know, he, he would have done this. We don't know what he would have done, but I can show you what he did uh, in his one shot at doing it in the White House. And frankly, it's a disaster. Uh, it, it really, really is a, is a non-starter. But I think a lot of a lot of the explanation for why he finds this plan attractive is, is what he's already experienced, is the emotional place that he's already in. Weitzel gets back there with him, and um, remember, this is a former Supreme Court justice. He, he met with Lincoln several times during the war at the Hampton Roads Peace Conference. He was one of the Confederate commissioners. Uh, this was not a strange man to him, a very, a very respected legal mind. So Campbell starts saying... Um, well, actually, if you if you listen to Campbell, he says the president came up with this, but everybody else said uh, that Campbell came in with the plan. Uh, that if what what we need to do is to engage the leading men of, of the state, and you know that's heavily leading men, heavily quoted, to bring the legislature of Virginia back. And remember, they've scattered to the four winds. The right, sure. of Richmond. I mean, who knows? They got their daylights out. They're their own hunt at that point. Right. They're they've vanished. We're going to engage the leading, and we're going to bring the legislature back. And here's the plan. When they come back, they will immediately rescind the ordinance of secession. Thereupon, every Virginian in the field, meaning Robert E. Lee, sure, would then put down their arms. Right. They have no cause to legally? What? Why are you fighting? You know, you, you resigned because Virginia seceded. Well, now we've unseceded, and you know, so uh, this was the plan. And Lincoln is hearing this, and it sounds pretty good. Yeah. Now we can look and we can see there's some major problems, major, like whoa, problems. If the Virginia legislature can meet and rescind the ordinance of secession, right? Then they have the right to do it. Sure. In the first place. Absolutely. Which Lincoln's government has never recognized. Yeah. That is the whole legal hook upon which the war has been hung. So here he is in the White House of Confederacy hearing this plan, and he's so willing to end the war that if it means completely legally undermining the war, do it. Right. And he's already uh, walked that line almost the entire time, right? Of It really shows you at this point how he's really thinking at this point, whatever it's going to take. To end the war, let's give it a shot. If we can try it, if we can do it, hey, we can deal with the fallout later. But, okay, let's go ahead and do this. I get it. You know, not just where he is today, emotionally, which is surely in a very emotional place, but where he's been over the past, you know, several years, this, you know, this war that just goes on and on, and every time we try something, something happens, and it doesn't work, and it just, you know... We can't seem to just close this deal. And here I am in the White House of the Confederacy, and this guy has come to me with this plan, the smart man, this plan that can end this damn war. Right. Okay. And if we have to recognize the rebel legislature while we're at it, and we have to, you know, backdoor recognize the right to secession, you know, we'll deal with that later. But Lincoln says, let's go ahead and do this. So as Campbell leaves, he must have felt like, yes. We can do this. And this is not a man, I don't think, that was trying to screw Lincoln over, although some people said that, 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 that he'd gotten him on board with his monstrous plan to, uh, to recognize secession forever. But uh, I think Campbell was, was like Lincoln, and you know, whatever we can do, let's do it. Sure. Thereupon, a, a, a carriage arrives, and uh, Lincoln gets in it with Porter and Weitzel, and they, 
They're going to drive away. They're never going to come back. And that right there is about the extent of what you're going to see Lincoln's uh, reconstruction plans. Now, he does say to Campbell, we'll meet tomorrow. We, I will spend the night here, and we'll meet again tomorrow aboard the Malvern. Uh, and so Campbell starts making this happen. Lincoln's carriage drives through the city. Uh, again, that Richmond newspaper that I found tells us where. He went down Cary Street after visiting Capitol Square. And uh, I mean the sim- symbolism of that, you know, there's the Washington statue in Capitol Square, which had been the very seal of the Confederate government. There's the statue of Henry Clay, the great, sure. uh, uh, the great moderator down there. He's going through Capitol Square. He goes down Ninth Street on Cary, through the ruins now. Yeah. Through the ruins for the first time. Uh, you know, right past all the buildings you can think of on Cary Street, right down through Shaco Slip. Um, they stop at Libby Prison. We know that. At 20th and Cary. And uh, Coffin says that as Lincoln went inside and saw the actual place and heard about thousands of times, Basically said he, he broke down and he had these emotions he could no longer suppress and they and they finally came out. And again, I keep I don't want to just be the you know, broken record on this, but right there tells you what you need to know. Right. This is a completely unscripted, unsupervised Lincoln. This is the raw deal. You are looking at him the way he, I'm sure he would prefer not to be looked at, which is the bare soul. Sure. Bare emotions. You know, could I have done more? Could we have ended this war sooner? Could Libby Prison have never become what it became? You know, it was on me. You know, it was my call to halt the to halt the exchanges. You know, and having seen all these former slaves, some of whom were still running running along with that carriage. Man, you know, yeah. again, how did how did you hold it in? How did you keep that cork on until now? But this is where Weitzel decides apparently to. <laughs> Ask him what policies he'd like him to, to follow. Although I can readily can see this may be Weitzel putting his own nice little story together. But apparently, at this moment, this is when he asks Lincoln, "Okay, what do you want me to do?" And and Lincoln then utters the famous quote, "You know, I don't want to give you any orders on the subject, but if I were in your shoes, I would let him up easy. Right? Let him up easy. Uh, um, might even be true. I mean, it's interesting. Like, what, what do you do? What else? Do you what do? would you do if you're standing there with the president who's just bawling? I mean, you just <laughs> Just look at the wall for a minute, or it like, must have been you know, Yeah, and you can't hug him. It must I mean, have been right? right? I mean, right. Um, <laughs> there, there, Mr. President. No, yeah. I mean, you know, you, let's you, talk business and take, you know, right? Maybe you're trying to just distract him and bring him back, and I don't know. But uh, I think it certainly shows you the effect of this day and and what and why he's made some of the decisions that he's made. But at that point, they're gonna they're going to get back on the, on board the Malvern. They will spend the night. So Lincoln does technically spend a night in Richmond, but he's in the middle of the river and uh, down there off of Rocket's Landing and meets with Campbell again and uh, gives him, you know, reiterates, yes, we're going to do this. And there, there is some evidence that he had second thoughts about this overnight, but on the other hand, Campbell's actions and Weitzel's actions are very clear. They start making this happen officially. And Lincoln does address Weitzel later, saying, you know, have, has the legislature made any moves to come in? You know, right. If not, don't worry about it, this kind of thing. So you, you know that it, for that three or four days, that was the plan. That was how we're going to get Virginia back into back into the Union. But then Lincoln's going to sail away, and that's it. He, he's, he's done with his visit to Richmond, and he'll never come back. 
But things start to happen pretty fast, as you know. I mean, it's 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 Sailor's Creek would capture almost a third of Lee's army there. Uh, he's down working the telegraph line, basically, at, at City Point, waiting to hear that great news that it's finally finally been done. And, of course, Mary comes back, um, by at least one account, says, why didn't you wait for me? <laughs> she tours Richmond herself with Tad right. again. So the, the, the Lincoln that visited the, the city the most was Tad. <laughs> he, he visited once with his father and once with his mother. We have even... Uh, I couldn't even fill up a page with, with what we know about Mary Lincoln's visit to Richmond. Um, we know what happened. Right. We don't know where she went. Uh, it's a damn shame. But uh, within two days, essentially, the entire Lincoln family, minus Robert, had, had, had toured the city. And Abraham is now back at City Point. Uh, he decides that, well, there's, he has a good reason to decide this, because uh, Seward had a carriage accident mm-hmm. back in Washington. And basically now the, the, he's got to. He's got to go back and, and grab the reins here. And so they leave, go back, and uh, as soon as Lincoln gets back to, to Washington, he gets the news that Lee has surrendered. And that makes that whole plan moot. Right. So that's the end of that. But in the meanwhile, Weitzel had not gotten these orders in writing. So the, the proof is in the pudding. He's been calling the Virginia legislature back, seemingly on his own initiative. Right. Um, you know, the, Welcome home. The, right. The, the, <laughs> the vultures are circling, and, and, and you know, Lincoln's trying to keep, keep you know, them off his back, but, uh, but then he's assassinated, and so you know, Weitzel is not long for, the, for his command there. In fact, he'll be the one that's sent to Brownsville, Texas, with the with the black soldiers that become the, the Buffalo soldiers. Huh. But uh, and that's uh, ten days after he leaves Richmond, is the assassination, right? That's uh, nine. Nine days, right? He was assassinated on the fourteenth. He died on the fifteenth. But um, you know, again, that's overnight. Oh, right. Sure. So uh, it's it, you're, you're talking about an incredibly compressed amount of space, and really think about living through it. You had you know one weekend, it's Richmond is is captured. The next weekend, Lee surrenders. The next weekend, the president is dead. Sure. I mean, it must have just been unthinkable, just the emotion that you would I mean, you did, I did, you know, lived through 9-11 and, and a lot of other things in, historically in my life, but I cannot imagine stacking them up. Right, sure. Like that, and what that must have done to people. I'm glad I don't have to know. Yeah. I'm hoping I never will. Right, right. Let's, yeah. Let's not do that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it really was an incredible time. Huh. Um. Yeah, hell of, hell of a couple of weeks out of a um, week and a half out of a you know four years, and uh, that's a hell of hell of a hell of a couple of weeks after that. But of course, it didn't really actually end anything. It, you know, it, it Lee's surrender was the tipping of the the dominoes, no doubt about it. But you know, there's no final day where you can say you know like like in the in the Second World War you have VJ Day, you have you know V sure. Day. You know, well, there's no VS Day for the right. Civil War. You know, it it it, it just trickles out. And it, it's finally declared over uh, the next year by uh, by Andrew Johnson, the then, the then president. But um, you know, everybody said, "Well, at least surrender." That was it. Uh-uh. You know, a lot of those Confederate garrisons out there, a lot of the Confederate army still had to surrender. It's 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 all going to keep going. But make no mistake, once once Richmond is in federal hands, Lee's army is surrendered. Everybody can see that this is sure. This is coming to a close and fast. I think there's some people that haven't found out yet, <laughs> but. Uh, um, but uh, but that's awesome. I I really appreciate you. you Not you a problem. This. Thank you very much again, Mike. I uh, really appreciate it. Got a little uh, 
a little tight at the end. Uh, Mike had to go pick up his kids, uh, which I completely understand. We could have talked for hours. I was, you know, we were at his house. I was sitting in a comfortable couch talking about uh, things that I was very interested in. Um, I hope you, I hope it was interesting to you as well. Uh, let me know if it was uh, on Facebook, Twitter at History Replays, or on Tumblr uh, or at HistoryReplaysToday.org. And uh, you know, definitely remember about the you know sponsorship opportunities and the uh, donation opportunities. You know, let me know. Um, you can email me at uh, Jeff Major J E F F M A J E R at HistoryReplaysToday.org. And you know, make it a great day.